Amen. That's awesome. The Lord Jesus Christ is my rock. You want to say that with me? The Lord Jesus Christ is my rock. We know that. And so some people might say, well, then why name a place like this the rock? If Jesus is the rock, why name it that? Well, you have to go back. And you could, if you have your Bible with you, if you, if you run back quickly to Psalm 18, you find out that God has already declared himself this rock. I mean, and that's why we're naming this. But why did he do that? Because in Israel, unlike Iowa, there's a lot of rock, okay? It crops up everywhere. There's uh, all kinds of formations and different types of rocks. And in these just three verses in Psalm 18, the psalmist is declaring for us uh, a whole number of pictures about God based upon words for rock. And unfortunately in English, it kind of gets translated rock, rock, rock. And it's several different words. And it has deep meaning for different pieces. And, uh, and by the way, there's no way I can be distracted tonight. Because the reason we're here, the reason that we just prayed for uh, this place called the rock is that it would be witness. And so in Israel, by Christ and the Lord throughout every generation, calling himself rock as they walked anywhere they went, just like everyone who's going back and forth, they are going to see rock and we're going to give them definition for it. The definition of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the rock. Psalm 18 would say it this way. Oh Lord, you are my strength. The Lord is my rock, which literally means a crag in the rock. I used to love mountain climbing. I do a little less of it now as I'm getting older. But I get to the top of these vistas, especially in the high peak regions of New York. And you can see everywhere. It's alpine. There's nothing but rock. But let me tell you, when it's sleeting and blowing and you're kind of wondering, why did I come up here except that it's gorgeous? And where else can you look down on eagles? I mean, that's just a cool thing, all right? And so we'd be up there and I'm hungry because I'm hungry like all the time when I'm climbing. And so we'd get on the other side where the rock would usually be split away from the wind and we get into that place that you would call a crag in the rock and you could eat often the sunshine coming right on you and you are protected from those nasty environments and you're able to see the beauty of what God has made what God is doing God is that crag in the rock where you can go and hide and be protected not just so you can huddle there but so that you could see him in action his beauty the passage goes on and says the lord is not just my rock but he's my fortress some of you know this word masada and it's the idea of this big old piece of land that comes up that's flat on top like a natural fortress it's a place to run to collect with others it reminds me of church actually okay and so i go to this fortress which is in all of israel they would just be thinking big rock piece okay when they think masada and he says the lord is that he is well he is head of church he is that place we run to, that is a place of defense, a place of readiness, a place that we run from to go do the work that God wants. He is that kind of rock. He is my deliverer, my God. And then he says again, my rock, which is like really big boulder. And we don't have a lot of ideas of this, but that same uh, Hebrew word can have the idea of a flat surface. So it's a big boulder when somewhere on it, there is flat surface that you can get on. All right. And it's a, again, a place of advantage, a place where you can see a place where you can have the ability to really do God's business in a right way. And he says, I am that for you. He says, in this God, in this rock that is flat place, he says, there I take refuge. It's my place of safety. He says, because the same Lord is shield, and literally it means shield all around me. Don't you love that? 
I mean, if it's coming down on you, I don't want just a shield in front. I want it all around me to protect me. He says, that's what this kind of rock, this shield is, a defense over me. And it's horn of my salvation. This is for Nick, okay? But when I think of horn of salvation, it's Lord of the Rings time, okay? Absolutely. When you are in desperate spot and it's all coming down on you and the brothers and sisters seem out of reach, and more importantly here, I need the Lord, the rock right now, you blow that horn. And he is the salvation that comes to rescue you. And I'm telling you, that rescue is promised to you as believer every time, always a way of escape. He's the horn of my salvation. Last rock word, he is my stronghold. Literally a high place. This is even bigger than Masada. It has more, oh man, all kinds of devices and places to hide, to build, to as an army go forth. I mean, think about all those rock words. Everything that they kind of nuance about God, how cool, how special he is, the protection he brings, the gathering that he is. And when David writes all of this, and by the way, this whole psalm is repeated in another part of the Old Testament. I mean, why would they waste the parchment? Because it's really important. Okay? I mean, if God's going to repeat a whole section verbatim somewhere else, and I'm not talking two verses, I'm talking the whole thing, that means uh, you really ought to pay attention to it. And David. I mean, he took this very personally. You should study the rest of the psalm because it is incredible. We're not doing that tonight. But as we look at this, David says, my response to God being rock is he looks at him and he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I don't want to make you say something. But when I was a teenager, a young teenager, an old man, he was probably 60. I thought that was really old back then. Okay, not now. But this old man at a camp looked at me and said, have you told Jesus you love him? Dividing line in my life. I've told this story every time I'm at this camp, sometimes multiple times, because you're, you're never going to move forward until you're willing to personally understand as a saved person to look at God who's very real, who's very much rock and say, I love you. If that's where you're at, just say that. I love love you. I, I may have surprised you. You can put, oh Lord, at the end. All right. If that's you, say it with me. I love you, oh Lord. God has loved us. He is this rock. This place is supposed to be a reminder of that. All of those pieces. That's the, that's the aim of this, okay? This building, this, this piece of land that in temporary time in Iowa where there's no rock, this can be our reminder rock, Okay, so that we can go from here, so we can come hide here, so we can be built here by the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we are going to say, I love you, O Lord. But it's not just so we can gather and say that. He does this, he is this, so that we respond because he has already loved us by saying, I love you. But there's something that comes out of that, I love you. And what comes out of that is obedience. What comes out of it, it just always happens. Like you can't even stop it. If you really understand how God is this and you understand how he's loved you and he's bringing that out of you so that you're looking at him and saying, I love you. Therefore, man, the sin's got to go. So I do the obedience of confession and I do the obedience of saying, my life is yours. I may have believed in him and understood that he saved me, but this is a step beyond that to understand I'm also being sent on mission. Understand this is Christ the Rock's mission. It's not our mission. 
okay? All we're doing is joining with the rock. And if it's his mission and he's out in front and he's behind and he is shield over us, there is no worry on doing the mission. So why are we holding back? Because we do. I hold back. I'm like, God, really? That much more? I don't know. And, and every time I say it, I'm like, I know I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong in the head, but I have to stop and go back and understand how he is rock, how he loves me, so I can say I love you, and you're right, to the mission with you, to the mission with you. So this is 2020 summer. We're supposed to have 2020 vision. We're supposed to see clearly. Tonight is about focusing that lens. And so very quickly from Psalm 96, it's on your paper, it'd be easy to look at. It's kind of marked up, maybe to help. But so Psalm 96 is about focusing the mission. It's really just kind of three simple thoughts in this psalm. First, he focuses for us and gives us the goal of the mission. Again, God's mission, his goal, it's what he's going to bring about, but you are his agents in that mission. You're his soldiers. You're his people. And and you're you're the ones that are going to carry this out. I say you, me too, okay? None of us age out of this, all right? This is our mission. What's that mission? What's that goal? Um, This psalm would say it, if I put two or three pieces together, it would say, this is the goal, that all the earth might sing to the Lord. I have to tell you, the first time I was studying this, I'm kind of like, that's a little bit of a weird goal. I mean, wouldn't you think it's it's uh, that all of us march the right way for Jesus, you know, or that we would all obey? But you understand, worship demonstrates a pinnacle of obedience. It, it, it flows out, it's, it's beyond, it's over top, it's bigger, and it helps cause obedience in our life when we do it. And so he's looking at us, well, look at the Psalms, you know I'm telling you the truth. He says, obedience, command, here's the command, and there's a slew of commands here. Verse one, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, who's supposed to sing? All the, oh, that was a weenie, okay? We gotta do that a little better. Who's supposed to sing all the, Absolutely. And if you don't think that matters, go down to verse 9. He says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the... Oh man, that's borderline. Here we go. You got one more shot. Verse 11, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And you say, is he talking about like dirt, earth? Well, in verse 11, yeah, kind of, and everything that's in it. But in the other places, when he says all the earth, some people have tried to say he's just talking about the land of Israel because that word can be used for the land of Israel. But if you look at this psalm, just even cursory, you see things like the peoples, the nations, and they're repeated like multiple times each. So what is he saying? He says, I want the whole earth to sing. And he looks at us and he says, sing a new song. And, And that means... Not just, I think it does mean we should sing new songs, okay? But that's kind of a, a small interpretation of this. What it means is, with a fresh and genuine walk with the rock, may it erupt out of you brand new every day. Now, I'm a terrible singer, honestly. Like, my whole family is gifted as singers. And they're like, well, honestly, when we were dating, my wife and I, we were at Cedarville, going to chapel every day. It's awesome. I love going to chapel. And just like this, like camp all year long, you know, it's fantastic. And so we're singing in chapel and, and she's, you know, she's kind of quiet and beautiful voice, sings in all the corrals and whatnot. And uh, after a few weeks, she kind of gets her courage up and she's like, John, um, why do you sing so loud? I'm like... I thought that was a theological question. I'm like, because I mean it, you know? Like, I believe this. That's why I'm singing that. She's like, oh, okay. (laughs) I'm like, it doesn't sound very good. Well, I looked at her because that's a theological thing. I'm like, sorry, I'm singing. 
and God can fix the groaning in heaven. And he promises that in another passage, okay? But I'm going to sing, and this psalm tells me I have to do a new song, and I think literally sing. Because let me tell you, the world doesn't normally sing a whole lot. They're not that happy. At least they don't sing happy stuff. When we sing as church people, I don't care what style of church music, it is not played in the bar, just so you know. Okay, all our new people, I used to ask them that. Does anything we do at church by way of singing sound like the bar? I'm like, no, it's happy. And it's about who we are in Jesus. I'm like, good, we'd hate to sound like the world. But he says, in this psalm, he says, sing. Verse 2 would say that as the process. So this is not only the goal, that we would live in such a way in our worship openly with the nations and the peoples of the earth, all the earth, that they are forced or caused to begin to sing, which means what? That they have come to grips with holy God and they're responding to him. They've become redeemed and they just are compelled to worship. That's our aim. It's not just that we'd like rescue a few people from hell or something like that. No, the aim is that they would know God such that now they erupt in singing together. How cool. We're singing here. People are going by. And they have all kinds of responses. It doesn't matter the response. This is part of it because the process, if that's the goal, he gives us the process. I like that. I'm a process guy. I like steps. I like know what to do, okay? And so he tells us this is the goal. This is the focus goal. And he gives all these commands. This is how you cause the world to sing. Obviously, he does it, but this is how we as his agents carry it out. He says sing. The word could be translated, same as above. Yeah, there's several words for sing in the Old Testament, but this one could have the idea of a strolling minstrel. I would illustrate, but it's not possible, okay? And when I think of that, I think of some like medieval funky thing. I don't really like the word minstrel. And so I rather think of my nephew, Daniel, or as we call him, Daniel. He's a missionary kid from Belgium. And when they were home last time, World Cup was going on, and he's in my house, and Belgium is playing. And dude, this dude is definitely an American, but when you speak several languages as an eight-year-old, and you live in Belgium, I mean, he is all the way through Belgian in his soccer, okay, or football. And so he is sitting, we like made sure the game was on, and he's the only one in the family except me that's crazy like this. And he's sitting there, and I'm just watching him because he's the deal. And he's watching, and, and they're, they're behind by one, and he's kind of shaking on the couch because like, Europeans aren't so staid, you know? He's like, he's rocking back and forth, and they score a goal, and he gets tied, and all of a sudden, this eight-year-old starts singing in Dutch, and he pops up off the couch, and he's singing the soccer song, and he's going ape in my room, and I'm trying not to laugh, and I'm like, this man believes in this, okay? Like, he is all in. I think that's what this psalm is talking about as part of the process. It's saying that we are supposed to, wherever we go, be like Daniel and sing because we are so into this that it just has to come out of us that way. But it's not the only part. He says in verse 2 also, bless literally means salute or kneel. It's a, a demonstration of respect to God and to who he is. And he says you need to salute God. And that means that when other people don't, you're going to want to, with great kindness, demonstrate respect for God. Be unflinching on that. I don't care who attacks me or what they say about me, but when my God is derided, I try with great kindness and softness but firmness to salute God. Do not let it go without touch. Okay? He says, bless the Lord. And the cool thing in a psalm in the Hebrew is that the next three commands, this bless, tell, and declare, rhyme. So somebody, I'm not great at literature. Somebody needs to find three English words that mean the same thing that rhyme. And if you do that, slip it to me. I will use it later. All right. So bless, literally salute. And then rhyme, he says, tell. It's kind of basic, isn't it? Tell, speak it, keep telling it. Um, literally, when he says it in here, he says, 
bless his name, and think about all the ways you can bless his name. All the things about God that are revealed in his name. And when lost people around me do things that fit with God's name, I said, so cool you agree with God. They're like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, he's exactly like that, just like you. Because you're made in his image. And they're like, huh, what does that mean? I'm like, start having conversation with a person on the street. Uh, bless his name. Tell of his salvation. That's what you tell. Speak over and over. I love to talk about how people have come to Christ in the church that I was a part of. Everywhere I go, I'd talk to people in town because they'd know these people. Like, he was a drunk. I know. So cool how God's changed him. You should come meet him. Really? I'm like, yeah, come visit. Uh, and they'd come to church like, I, I just can't believe he's in church. I'm like, come. He'd love to have you there. Tell of salvation, the salvation of God. Day, how many times? Day to day to day. Speak of the salvation to your own heart that God has provided to you day by day by day so that the whole earth will sing. Declare his glory. Literally, declare the weight of God. If you were going to value God in coins is the idea. How many coins would it be? Um, and the word, the declare, is that the idea of a kind of like an accountant who's like measuring it all up. And I would just, maybe there's people in heaven that are going to do that. It's just a way to bring glory to God. I don't know. Maybe they're going to sit there and like say, yeah, this much pavement. And they would be for eternity counting, which is the idea of declare, counting the weight of God. There's no coming to grips with the enormousness of that. And somehow the people around us have to Get the idea from us. It may not even be in words, but get the idea in the way we live that God is worth that much to us. That this is the way this person lives. They, they look at us and say, man, God must be everything and beyond to them because that's what this would be. He says, then, I have to hurry here, but a scribe, and he says that multiple times. That's the idea of a door. And if you want to understand a door, it means that you have been emotively moved and, and biblically connected to God about who he is, and you're expressing it to him in a, in a beautiful, intense way. It's kind of like this. I could, I could say to Nick, man, your wife is really cool. And he'd be like, yeah, I agree. But if I said to Nick, and I would not do this, if I said to Nick, man, I adore your wife, I'd have black eye, you know, like maybe two, you know. Absolutely. That's why I'm over here. You know, like, and so in that little piece, you understand there's a big difference between just like casually saying, yeah, man, God's great. And saying, man, God, you are it for me. Everything I am. And he says what that looks like. Ascribe to the Lord, oh, families of the peoples. Um, in other words, the nations should start to do this. He says, ascribe to the Lord glory. That's that weight idea, glory and strength. In other words, in ascribe, we're, we're naming this. We're saying he is strength. He is weight. And we're seeing all these pieces about who God is. Ascribe to the, to the Lord, verse eight, the glory due his name. Every name of God has a weight to it. Take time. Let those keep crashing into you so that you, you love him for who he is in all his complexity. You'll never get bored. You'll never run out. He says, verse 8, bring an offering. And could that be money? Sure. But offering is cost. Offering is sacrifice. 
Offering has a lot of pieces. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Another, another command, part of the process. If the world's going to sing, you have to meet very personally with God. Come in his courts. Be in his house. We're not talking about church, although that is a place where you could meet with him. We're talking about being very personally with him. And I think with others, because he's saying it to the psalm, he's saying it to the people of Israel, this is something you do together. And he says, come into his courts. Be very personally close to him. Wouldn't it have been cool to be in the nation of Israel and see the Shekinah glory of God come down into the tent of meeting and see the presence of God in this visual way? Understand, we have something better than that. We have God himself dwelling in us. It is more pronounced and it goes to our soul more than anything you could have ever seen during world history. Okay? So don't, don't undersell where you sit because where you sit you're able to very, vis- very vi- um, vividly in your mind be in the presence of God with the Spirit who is in you. Or if you're still in this process, he keeps rolling it, and he says, worship, literally bend the knee, fall down before him. Worship the Lord, and he says, in the splendor of holiness. Um, I'm going to kind of reach outside of myself. This has something to do with jewels. Um, Splendor has the idea of all kinds of ornament and like obviously I'm a very plain ugly dresser because I don't really care. All right. But this is talking about like wedding dress level. Okay. And the way people put all special, I don't even know what to call the stuff because like I shoot things and eat them. I don't know how to make clothes, okay? But like all this special stuff that makes your eye go, whoa, and just pronounces the beauty of the subject. And uh, hopefully it's your bride and you're thinking that way. But anyway, worship the Lord, he says, in splendor, all these aspects, but he says it's not splendor of jewels. That would be so beneath God. He said it's the splendor of holiness. He said, all the facets of how you should be set apart to God in your life. If, if you're married, set apart in your marriage. Set apart in how you function at church. That you are God's and his only. And that your life and your holiness and your walk and your morality and your rightness of thinking and your justice, all of that is, is set apart and uniquely fitted just for God. And he says, he says, worship the Lord in the splendor of that holiness. And then he says, tremble before him. Terrible translation, I'll just tell you. And I think it's because we get scared of this word. Uh, the word, at first it would sound like, okay, you're on your knees, and then it, like tremble, like be afraid. I don't think it's like that, because the word literally means to whirl. I would spin and show you my dance moves, but I'd fall off the trailer probably, okay? Not very good at it. I, I kind of reserve that for just Jen and I somewhere else, okay? But like, this is the idea that I have I've bowed the knee to God, I've been set apart in holiness, and now it's this triumphant expression, I mean, of who I am before God saying, man, I am yours. It's like you're overcome and can't stop because of who he is. It's not something that you demonstrate in front of somebody else. It's not necessarily even a movement that physically happens, although I think it might in private sometimes before God because it has with me. But I think it's more the idea of that you are just totally cut loose and enraptured with who God is from your soul. Tremble before him. And who is supposed to do that? All the all the earth. Everyone. That's our, that's our aim. Okay, so if that's the process. Oh, one last thing. Say, so we have something to speak. Say among the nations, verse 10, the Lord reigns. Well, let's start practicing that. Ready? Can you say that? The that's pretty good, but if he's king and he was here, I think there'd be a little more to it. So let's try it one more time, right? The Lord reigns. Oh, man, absolutely. 
And, and the world needs to see that. That's exact. I didn't know what Phil was going to say tonight. That's exactly what Phil's doing when he's in the community with saved or unsaved. Doesn't even matter to him because God is king. So I don't care what the person is like in front of me. And they're looking like, why are you doing camp? And he's like, because God is it. We have something to celebrate. And he can't even keep himself from having that leak out. He just has to, right? He's compelled by God to say, my God reigns and I'm following him on his mission. That's what it's all about. That's our process. Um, I've had a lot to think about this week. Some of you maybe don't need to go much further in the sermon because we're almost done. But some, some of you need to say, okay, I'm only doing like one of those. Or I'm only doing those things in safe little Christian huddles. And that's not going to take it to all the nations, to the peoples, to the nations of the earth, to all the earth. It's not going to work. Uh, it needs to start there. Man, it better happen there. And that's why we come to camp to absolutely do that. But, but as has already been said, from this rock, it needs to go to all the nation. You need to be thinking, which one should I begin? They're commands, so this is not like an option. Okay, If you're God's kid and you understand how he loves you, um, you're going to say, I love you, O oh Lord. And you're going to start doing these commands, and you're not going to care how bad because he is king and he will carry you in the development of those commands in your life. And let me tell you, it wasn't until the last 15 years of pastoring that I actually started to really live this way in the community. And, and I was not very helpful to my church in the years before that. And it took me about five years of doing it before I even began to talk about some of this and live it in front of them and live it, live it with them in the community. And so I understand the rigors of this process. I understand the failures. I understand the uncertainties. I understand that the quaking that comes inside of me when I try and live this out. It never gets easy because it's spiritual, but we have a king who is rock that we can rely on to do these things. And you say, well, how does that work? Go seek him. I guarantee you, he will help you in that and do it together seeking him because he will help you together to do this. Almost anything I've learned to do well, I learned from the people of my church in the end. It's true. From the word of God and people in my church helping me figure out how to do it. It was not me in any of it. It's like kind of, honestly, my weakest category. But God used you, his church, to help that. You might say, why would we do this? I mean, God says he wants all this. I get that. But God never says he wants something without really trying to lay down why. Like what compels you or what's the, what are the reasons to do this? There's two in the psalm. There's more in the scripture. But two, he, first, he is greatest. He is glory, and everything else is worthless. Uh, look at that as, it's, uh, as I would read it in verse 4. He says, for great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. There are lots of gods and idols. They're all fake. They're not real. They don't really have power. But let me tell you, he is, and so he is to be feared above all that because he is alive. He is real. He is glory. He says, for the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We have not yet been to the first star. We're kind of puny, right? And, and, and God, as he looks at us to help us, he goes, I am great and I made the heavens. And we haven't even begun to explore them. And he's just doing that because we can see that. He's so much more than that. I mean, literally, he is infinitely desirable. As, as you desire him, you will not run out of desire. You will not get bored in heaven. Do not worry. Just in one category of desire, you will desire God, and you'll be like, whoa, there's more to desire. Wow. 
I mean, sometimes when I was first married, I thought, man, this is so good. Can, can it stay this good? Like when we're old, you know, and I was thinking 30, you know, um, you know, can, can, will I still be attracted to my wife? And the answer is the way I was attracted when I was 25 is chump change. I'm telling you, it's nothing because she has forgiven me so much. She's been like Jesus in my life that when I look at her, I am wowed. And on top of that, she's dropped dead gorgeous. Okay. But I mean, that's, that's very secondary. I'm just saying everything about her is delight. And the longer I'm with her, there's just more to delight. And that's in a human puny context. God is infinitely desirable. Um, I love the worthlessness that Samuel talks about when he looks at the people of God in 1 Samuel 12. He says, do not be afraid, though you've all done evil. Wouldn't you like a pastor to get up and say that? You know, don't, I would if I'd done evil, and, and we should take it that way tonight. Don't be afraid, he says, though you've done evil. But he said, but don't turn aside from following the Lord. You say, well, I was doing evil. I was turned aside. Yeah, so what's his point? He, he's saying, so stop, Right? And, and go back to following the Lord. Don't turn away from that. You were over here evil. He says, don't be afraid. Go follow God. He says, and serve the Lord with all your heart. And don't turn aside after worthless or empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people. God will be with you. And everything else falls short of that. Your best friend may die. Your parents may be gone. You may be deserted. Your church may, may die and never be there. All kinds of things can go away, but know this. God is with you and has taken you from evil to following him as his kid. Last, second reason is that God will come. He will come and he will judge. Um, we don't always talk about this aspect, but I have to, to be kind to you. And to be fair, understand this, God is judge. It is a very predominant word in the last few verses of the psalm. And he is going to judge. He's going to judge according to his righteousness, and ours isn't going to measure up. He's going to judge according to his faithfulness, which is never wavering. He's always right on task, and we are not. Thankfully, we have Christ. If you've believed, if your trust is in him, he is the one that makes you be seen as righteous and as faithful or else you should fear the judgment of God. Instead, that judgment to us as believers should be a motivation. We love them. That's great. Every, uh, the judgment of God, instead of being fear for me, because He is my faithfulness and He's my righteousness, now the judgment of God compels me to witness to the world to help them come to sing because the judgment is real and they will be condemned because he's just and he cannot have violation against his holiness. But he's so loving, he's provided a way for all the earth to sing. It's right there. And our job, our role, is to go to the nations so that they might sing. I'd like you to stand. Tim's coming. And I want you to think two things, okay? I know, it's hard to stand and be quiet. Just do it. Give me, give me one little bit. I just want you to think this way. Those of us who are older, we look out at you, we are so excited for you. I'm telling you. Because we know who God is. And we know where we stood just like you, some of us many years ago. And God's desire, I mean, he's been using me, my family, my friends, lots of people that nations and people 
would sing, but the job's not done. It's still the commands that we're following. And some of you just, just really need to crawl inside the rock right here. Trust in God as rock and say, this is going to be the pattern of my life. I'm going to take for real that this is the process and that the goal is that the nations would sing. And I'm going to do it because God, God is judge and God is loved. And I do think there comes a point, especially I was, I was redeemed as a five-year-old. And when you get redeemed that way, you slowly after that, and that faith was real, you slowly after that begin to understand the truth of what God has done and what your faith means. And at some point, you got to draw a line in the sand. And if you're really redeemed, you got to draw that line. It's mental, okay? But draw that line and know this is, I am all in, okay? And, and that does, I mean, you might be all in and be a, a garbage collector. It has nothing to do with job, okay? I'm all in. I'm all in that the nations might sing from wherever God places me. This is what my life, my money, my time, my mental acuity, my worship, this is what it's going to be. And so when we sing, if you're at a spot where you're like, I need to, I need to lay that down. I never have. And if you've done it before, then rejoice with God and know that is where I am. Re-up, be in the rock, be ready, okay? But, but if you haven't really put that down, I think you need to make that decision. You need to do it with some accountability. I'd encourage you to just look at your counselor. The chapel's open. While we're singing, go do that. Then you can come back and be a part of what else we're doing. But, but you need to lay that down, pray, commit that to God. Obviously, we want the nations to sing. And some of you here, though you can sing verbally, you're not really worshiping. My God's so beautiful, that breaks my heart for you because you could enjoy him forever. And, uh, and he loves you. I mean, he's given you an opportunity to hear things like this tonight. Right here at this camp, there's people here who love you. And if you're in that spot where you're like, okay, I need to know how to really sing. I need to know how to worship. I need to know how to love him, to follow him, to know that my sins have been forgiven that I've been redeemed, they're washed away because of what Christ did on the cross. And if, and if you're in that mix where you're like, uh, that's not me, I don't know how to sing, again, look at your counselor and go. And other counselors, help out if, if we're out of counselors or whatever we need to do because these, are, these things are more important than anything else that happens tonight.